It is good to be back with family. We are so thankful to be here with you and to uh, worship with you. It was a wonderful time of uh, seeing God's creation over the last few weeks, but uh, we were ready uh, to see all of you and to uh, just worship with you and to uh, fellowship with you once again, and so we're excited about that. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 84, and then once you have found that, if you would then turn to John chapter 4, as we look at that passage as well, as we answer the question, where do we worship? Where do we worship? What we're going to see this morning, I pray, is that Scripture desires to answer this question, and the Old and New Testament, while they complement one another, they stress slightly different aspects of that question, of the answer to that question, so that both may complement one another as they look forward to what we see in Revelation and the ultimate answer to the question, where do we worship? And so we're going to use these two passages this morning to kind of come at this question. Um, Before we do, um, I I want to do two things. One, to say Happy Father's Day and to recognize uh, not just our dads, but those that men that have poured into our lives, that have helped us to grow in our faith and in our relationship. Um, As we have done in the past several years, uh, we are, as a church, making a, in lieu of a gift, we are making a donation to the Baptist Children's Home. And uh, we want to, again, say thank you uh, to our our men in the church and to our dads. I also wanted to recognize, I see that she just stepped out, um, but this is Scout Simmons' first morning with us. And so we are excited for the Simmons family and uh, excited for a new addition. Yes, you can clap. That'd be a good place to do that. And uh, so wanted to recognize that this morning. At this point, though, we turn our attention to the Scripture. And so if you would stand, we're going to start in Psalms 84. If you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, and then, as I said, we'll switch over to John as we conclude that. Psalm 84, starting in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the high in whose heart are the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of Baca they make it a place of springs the early rain also covers it with pools they go from strength to strength each one appears before God in Zion O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And then turning to John chapter 4, here we have the encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who finds herself alone and outcast from society because of choices she made, having realized that Jesus is more than just an ordinary guy, she says this in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the, is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know, that, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible thing it is indeed to be here in your presence as we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ who hold with them the presence of the Spirit, your Spirit, so that when we gather together, it is magnified, that we may make much of the God that we serve, much of the one who has saved us, who desires us, that we may make much of a holy God, of a powerful God, of a just God, of a loving God, of a merciful God. Father, I pray this morning as we look at this question of where do we worship, that we would grasp that the answer does not lie in necessarily a specific place, but it's something much grander than that. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The question of where do we worship is one that every religion in the world needs to answer. Where do we worship? Where is it that we give and show significance of our deity, of our religious beliefs? Where do we show the significance of that? Where do we do our prayers? Where do we serve? Where do we, where do we sacrifice? Where do we do all of these things that we have built into the act of worship? Where must they take place? Some religions would say that it is a specific city, that there is a Jerusalem or a Mecca or something else where one must go sometime during the life, and you pray towards that city, and everything revolves around what has happened in that place, and it is considered the dwelling place of a god. 
For other religions, it's all over the place. They're every, behind every tree and every bush, every stream, and every valley and every mountaintop, there is a spirit. And we are to worship everywhere and everything. For others, it is a building, a location in a neighborhood. For others, it is something else entirely. But the question of where do we worship is a fundamental one to every religion, to every faith, so to speak. And it is no different for ours. We should, as we study this idea of worship, ask the question, where do we worship? Where do we show the significance of our God above all other things? whether it is in our service, in our prayers, or in our songs. The Old Testament and the New Testament both grapple with this question. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at two different passages where we see the answer to this question, where do we worship? And we're going to pull out the different perspectives that the Old Testament and New Testament have. And then my prayer is, my hope is, is that as we come to a conclusion this morning, that we would understand that both of the answers that are given point to an even better reality. That one day, the place of our worship will be glorious in his presence. So this morning, if you would, go back to Psalms 84. That's where we're going to start this morning. Psalms chapter 84 talks about the dwelling place of God. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And really, as we go throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, one of the things that we see when it comes to the, the God's desire is that he desires to dwell with his people in a physical manner, in a physical place. We see it first in the tabernacle that Moses builds and that they carry through the desert and eventually set up in the promised land. Then we see it in the building of Solomon's temple that God desires to dwell with his people. And it is in this dwelling with his people that worship happens. But it's interesting as we look at this desire of God to dwell with his people that we see a few things. First, we see that this physical place where God dwells, where his people are to worship, it is approachable. Looking at verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. This physical place of dwelling that God had given to Israel was a place that was approachable. The visual that the psalmist is trying to give us is you can imagine them walking into the temple and the grandeur of that building and the altar out front where the sacrifices were being made. And as this individual, this psalmist is walking into this dwelling place of God, that they look up and in the corner of the temple is a nest. Now birds will make a nest wherever they can get a cavity. We have had that experience even right here outside. 
Um, You put a hole up and they will find it. But the psalmist marvels for a moment that in this place where God dwells, that even the smallest of creature finds safety, finds a home. That's not always a given when we look at the faiths of the world, the religions of the world. There are many religions, many faiths, so to speak, that would look at a God, the God that they serve as anything but approachable. When you talk with those that are in an animistic society, in other words, they worship ancestors, they have no problem believing that there is a singular God who has created everything that we experience. But what blows their mind is when you tell them that he desires to have a relationship. Because they have been told their whole lives that he is a vindictive, bitter, jealous, uh, cranky God who snaps at anything that you do wrong. That he wants nothing really to do with his creation. And so the idea that God is loving and desiring to dwell with his people is mind-blowing. That he is approachable is unthinkable. That's why they worship ancestors. Because they believe that the ancestors are the only way to gain favor with God. And so they worship their ancestors so that they may have better crops, better rains, so on and so forth. And so for them, the idea that he is approachable, that you can pray directly to him, that you can worship him directly, it is a given that we take for granted that we have this God who is approachable. But we see not only is God's desire to dwell with his people in this physical place, the temple, an approachable place, it's also a communal place. Starting in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The picture that he's painting, just as he painted this picture of a, of a bird nesting in the temple and the safety and the, and the approachability of God in that here, he paints a picture of the communal aspect of coming to one place at one time to worship with the people of God. This was an expected norm in Israel that there were especially certain times of the year, certain feasts, Passover, the Feast of Booths, and others, that there was an expectation that you would leave your home wherever it was in the nation of Israel and you would make the journey to Jerusalem to gather there with the entirety of the nation to worship together, to experience his presence together, to lift up his name together, to show the immense worth of God to the world together. It was a communal thing. It was a family thing. We see a picture of it, by the way, in the New Testament. You'll remember the story, the way it ends is probably more memorable to you that Jesus gets separated from his family and they realize that he's gone and so they run to the temple and they find him there sharing and teaching the scribes from the scriptures and they say, where, where were you? We missed you. And he said, 
Didn't you know that I would be doing in my father's house? We remember, you may remember that part of the story, but the picture there is them as a family going with other families to Jerusalem to worship there, to celebrate there. God's desire to dwell with his people, to be worshiped by his people, it's an approachable place, but it's also one that we share together. It's one that we do together. And certainly we see that not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. This carries over to the church. That the church gathered together regularly, that they may worship together, that they may encourage one another, that they may teach one another. The third thing that we see as we think about God dwelling with his people in a physical place like the temple is that it focuses on the one. It focuses on the one. The one and only, as we have subtitled this sermon series. You see, when Israel was a nation, and especially in the early years of Israel, and but really throughout its history, they were surrounded by people groups. They were, just, they were surrounded by nations that worshipped a plethora of gods. There were gods for the sun, there were gods for the moon, there were other gods for certain stars, there were gods for the streams, gods for the ocean, God for the trees, God for the bushes, gods for fertility, gods for the crops. God, you could go on and on and on and on. And they worshipped wherever they thought those gods dwelled. So they would build altars on the high places. They would build altars in the valleys. They would build altars at certain trees. They would build altars at certain streams. They would build altars at certain rocks because the spirits were all around them and so their places of worship had to be everywhere. God desires to dwell with his people and he makes it one spot so that they may understand that they serve one God. And so you have, as we demonstrated with the children this morning, you have one flame that all people are drawn to at the temple. All those who would worship him come to one place so that they may focus on the one true God, that they may know his presence there. It was a spectacular thing. It was an amazing thing, this idea that God would dwell with his people, that he was approachable, that we did it together, that there was one God, not many gods. In fact, the, when the temple was rebuilt in the time of Ezra, we see recorded that those that remembered the temple of Solomon from their young days looked upon the temple of Ezra and they wept because they remembered the grandeur that had come before. And yet what happened over time, what happened over time, unfortunately, is that the worship of God became less about his dwelling place and the sense that God was approachable and that he desired to be there with his people, and it became more about a ritual. It became more about, well, we have to go to Jerusalem at this time, and this time, and this time, and we go and see the temple. And it almost became more of a tourist attraction 
than it did a place of worship for some. It was a box to be checked off. And so the New Testament does not change the answer to the question, where do we worship? Rather, it changes what is stressed. And that's what we see in John chapter 4, if you'll turn over there with me just for a moment. As I said, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, Jesus has, is sitting by a well and he is approached by a woman it was odd that she would come alone. That wasn't the norm. Normally, everyone would get up early in the morning. And they would get their water for the day in one big group. But this woman was different. This woman had made some choices that caused her to be an outcast in society. And so she came by herself and thinking that she would not find anybody, thinking that she would not be, not be questioned by anybody. But instead, what she finds is Jesus sitting there waiting for her. And they begin to have a conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, it dawns on the woman that Jesus is not just some person, that there is something more here that she is experiencing. And so desiring to look at least religious, she asked him the religious question of her people. It says in verse 19 in chapter 4, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. In essence, she asked the question, Where do we worship? Where should we worship? And we see in the verse, verses to come, Jesus' response. In verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, what Jesus is conveying to this woman is you're misunderstanding the answer here. You're misunderstanding the answer. <laughs> For her whole life, she had heard you have to go to a location in order to worship. And so she was basing her answer and her thought process on what she had been taught. You see, this question is loaded with baggage because at one time, the nation of Israel had been split into two. And I'm going to try to simplify a lot of history in a really short time. But the nation of Israel is split into. You have Israel and you have Judah. And Jerusalem, the place, the place of the temple, is in Judah. And so Israel, desiring not have to go into another country to worship, they decide that on this hill that they're going to build their own version of the altar. And they're going to have their own place of worship. Well, eventually... Both nations fall out of favor with God. They both disobey God. They fall into a time of discipline called the exile. They're dragged away to Assyria and Babylon and other places. <clears throat> Some people are left, though, especially in Samaria, in this place where this other altar had been built. And those people begin to intermarry with the people there. And so they are not, as the Jews of Jesus' day would see them, they were not full-blooded Jews, so to speak. And so they look down on them. Look down on where they worshipped, how they worshipped. 
And they made it clear that Jerusalem was the only place where you could do that, the only right place to do that. And so there was this argument, both political and social and cultural, about where can you worship? Is it on this mountain or is it on this mountain? And Jesus says, you're missing the point. The point has always been that God desires to dwell with his people. And so Jesus changes. He, he doesn't change the answer. He just changes the focus a little bit so that she may understand the desires of God. First, he says that you worship in spirit. The place of your worship is not a location. It is in the spirit God is spirit. He does not have a physical form as we think of it, other than coming in the flesh in Jesus Christ. But the Father does not have that physical form. He is spirit. And so Jesus says, if you want to worship him, then you must worship in spirit. You must worship him as he has called you. You'll remember, two, three weeks ago, we talked about that when we worship, when we make much of God, that we do so on his terms, not on our own terms. And so he says, look, if you're going to come and worship God, then you've got to do it in spirit. But how do we do that? We have flesh and blood. We are physical in nature. Then how can we worship him in spirit? Well, it's because of what he has given us. As believers in Christ, we understand that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he has promised to give us the Holy Spirit, the very dwelling of God in us, with us as a helper, that we may worship God. And we carry that wherever we go. No longer, as Old Testament believers, do we experience the presence of God only by going to the temple. Now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we experience the presence of God wherever we go. Amen, indeed. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm not in Jerusalem. I can be in Vandalia, Missouri, and experience the presence of God in the same way that they did. And even a greater way that I can go to Arizona, or I can go to California, Missouri, or I can go to Madagascar, or I can go to Nigeria, or I can go to Russia, or Ukraine, or I can go wherever the Lord takes me, and He is with me. And he is with you. So the place of worship is where God dwells. And where God dwells now on this side of the resurrection is in the believer. Not in a building. Ponder that for a moment. That his desire is to dwell with you. To dwell with his people and now he dwells in you. So we have the Spirit, but he also says something else. He says that we are to worship in spirit and truth. What does he mean by that? Well, what is truth? How would we define that? We would define it as the Word of God. God is truth. He is the ultimate reality. And so if we are to worship him in spirit, then we ask, the, and we, that is through the gaining of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, then we have to ask the question, how do we get that gift? And it's by understanding the truth, the reality that God presents to us through his word. It's the gospel. 
we have to come and understand, come to him on his terms and understand what he has told us. For if you desire to worship God, if you desire to have the dwelling of the Spirit, then you must come to him on his terms and you must come to him in the truth. And the truth is, is that we all at one time have rejected God. Especially on this Father's Day, this, uh, I've used this analogy before, but on, this fa- on Father's Day, it kind of ha- carries a little bit of extra weight. You can imagine a child looking at dad and saying, I don't need you. I don't want you. I can live life better without you. As a dad, that is heartbreaking to think about. heartbreaking to think about my girl looking at me and saying, I can do this better without you. I don't need you. All kinds of emotions flood me in that moment. But that is what we have all done to God at one point in our life or another. And for many of us, many times, that we have looked at God, and maybe we haven't said it with our words, but we have said it with our actions. I don't need you. I don't want you. I can do it better without you. And we try to live our lives. We try to live our lives without him. And we make decisions on our own. And we go places and we do things. And we think that we know what we're doing. Maybe we call out to him to save us in times of disaster, but other than that, we have no desire for him to have a part in our lives. And so we're not coming to him in the truth, in the reality that we need him. But there is good news, and we looked at, we've looked at this so much in Romans. There is good news that The truth does not just portray us as who we are as sinners, but the truth also is is that because of that, we have a consequence that one day that God will look at all those that rejected him and say, fine, if you don't want me, you don't get me. And he'll remove all of his blessings and he'll move those folks, those individuals that have made that choice to a place called hell where it is totally absent of his presence and his blessing is a place of torment. But there is hope. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and he died for your mistakes and my mistakes. That he rose again, defeating death, sealing the payment for us so that now we may have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we may have a relationship with God the Father. That we may have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That we may worship him in spirit and in truth. No longer then, no longer then is worship about a place or a specific people in the Jews. Now worship is about the believer having a relationship with God, about the believer being the very dwelling place of God and going out into the world. It's still the same answer. God desires to dwell with his people. We worship where God is. But now we understand that it's not about a physical place. We understand that it is about him dwelling with us. 
The crazy thing about all of this and the thing that I, I love the most is that we have these Old Testament and New Testament. We have these emphasis that, that are placed on the answer of where do we worship but we read the book of Revelation and we see all of these things come together. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, a passage that we have read quite a bit actually in the last few months as we have looked at different things. But in Revelation chapter 21, a new heaven and a new earth and all of these things, all of these truths of the answer of where we worship, they come together here Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read parts of it, and then I'm going to skip parts of it and kind of come. So just kind of follow along with me. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. Notice here, just, just pause for a moment. Notice here, the desire of God is still to dwell with his people. That the place of worship is still where he is at and now he is coming to his people. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Going down to verse 9. Then came one of the angels, the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you your bride, the wife of the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with the 12 gates and, the, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. And on the north, three gates. And on the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Notice here the blending of the Old Testament and the New coming together once and for all. Then down to 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth bring, will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. there will be, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever into it. No, anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice here, in chapter 21 of Revelation, as John is given this great vision of what is to come after the, the return of Jesus Christ, this unity of these two answers, where are we to worship? We worship in both the spirit and the physical. God does not change his, his presence. He doesn't change who he is. He still is the spirit. But now this spirit dwells perfectly with his people in a place that needs no temple because he is there. It's an amazing thing. 
But it's not just spirit. It's not just wherever. There's a physical place where we can go and be in his presence. We see the both and of the New and the Old Testament, the temple being the foreshadowing of what was to come, what is to come. The, the Jesus' words of worshiping in the Spirit, the truth of what is now and what will forever be. We see the individual and the communal. We see the individual and the communal. We see the individual in the last verse that we read. It says, But nothing unclean will come into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It is only those who have made the individual choice to trust Him, who to put to follow Him, to obey Him, who will be allowed in this place. It is an individual relationship that makes the difference. It doesn't matter if your family always went to church. It doesn't matter if you belong to the Jewish people. It doesn't matter if you were born in a certain country at a certain time. It is an individual choice of whether you will experience this glory or not. I love what it says in another part of Revelation. It says that he will give you a name that only he knows. It is an individual place of worship, and yet it is also still communal. Look at it. It's the nations will walk in. The kings of the earth will bring their glory. And another place in Revelation, it talks about every tribe and every tongue and every nation praising God with one voice. It is, a com it is yes, an individual thing, but it is also a communal thing. It is a glorious gathering of God's people in one place in his presence that he may dwell with them forever. One of the great privileges of my life, and I may have shared this before, but one of the great privileges of my life was I got to go to a naturalization ceremony in Kansas City, and we were in the Sprint Center, and we were in the upper, the, if you were not someone being uh, made a U.S. citizen, you were seated in the upper bowl. And so we're sitting in the upper bowl and looking down, and there were thousands of people that were becoming citizens that day. And they were all dressed, uh, many of them were dressed in, in, in robes and in garb that, that identified their culture and where they were coming from. And you heard from the, the bowels of this place rising up the different languages. And it was just this beautiful tapestry of God's creation of humanity. But then there was a moment when they all said the Pledge of Allegiance in one voice and in one language towards one country. And in my mind's eye, something greater than that, that we stand in heaven in a new earth, in a new place, filled with the glory of God, with the tapestry of humanity, the colors that will be represented there, our cultures, our backgrounds still identifiable, but we will with one voice and in one language pledge allegiance to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what all of this points to. Where do we worship? We worship together with believers in one place for all of eternity in his presence, one God and one people forever. That is something to look forward to. And it is what all of the Old Testament and New Testament point towards. We, we get excited about these things, but we may come back to one statement what now? <laughs> 
okay, Brian, you've talked about what the Old Testament says, what the New Testament says, what we have to look forward to, but what do we do now? What is the practical application of this question? Where do we worship? First, we worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in spirit and in truth. The most basic question of the, or the most basic answer of where do we worship is we worship where he has placed us, where he has called us. The question then that must follow is, has he called you? Have you surrendered to him? Do you have a relationship with him? Friend, you can come to this building every Sunday. You can sit in every Sunday school class that we have available. You can come on Wednesday nights. But if you do not know him in a personal relationship, if you have not confessed that you are a sinner and asked for his forgiveness, if you have not made the commitment to follow him in every part of your life the best that you can, asking him to help you to do that, then you will never truly worship him in spirit and in truth. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, I know him. He dwells in me. We worship in spirit and truth for now. We worship as individuals where he leads. I've been blessed that the Lord has led me to different places and I've been able to worship with different families of God. And I'm thankful every time, even when I travel on vacation, this last Sunday, we got a wonderful opportunity to worship with First Baptist O'Fallon, Missouri, with my best friend and his family. And it, it's always amazing to me that you walk into a place with, where believers are gathered and you are at home. You worship where he leads as an individual. Sometimes he will lead you in deserts where you feel alone. You're not, but you will feel that way. Worship him there. Show his value there. Sometimes he will lead you to concert venues where there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Worship him there. Sometimes he will lead you to the feed store. Worship him there. Sometimes he will lead you to the river on a boat. Worship him there. He will, sometimes he will lead you to this building, worship him here. We worship as individuals, but we also worship with the church wherever we go. We're going to talk more about this in a, in a few weeks when we ask, whom do we worship with? But we were created. We were created to be community. We were not created to do this alone. And God is most glorified when his people gather together to be with one another and to be with him, to worship, to make much of his name and what he has done. So for now, while we wait on that glorious moment when we will all worship in the new heavens and the new Jerusalem, on the new earth and resurrected bodies with God physically there, while we wait on that, we worship in our relationship with him we worship wherever he leads us as individuals, and we worship wherever the church is. Brother and sister, I hope that you will make that a priority. That wherever you are, whether God keeps you here for the next 50 years, 100 years, whether 
He moves you somewhere else that you will seek the church. That you will find her and that you will worship with her, this great and glorious God whom we serve. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response. There are numerous responses that may be in your heart this morning. It may be right and fitting that you stand and raise your hands to heaven and you praise him with all that you are for what he has done and what he has promised to do for the looking forward to that great glorious day when he wipes every tear and death is no more and goodbyes are no more and we stand in his presence. It is good to worship him for that this morning. Maybe this morning you are here and you would say he does not dwell in me. I do not have a relationship with him. This morning, will you make that commitment today? Will you say, Father, forgive me for walking away from you. Forgive me. I want to follow you from here out wherever you go, wherever you lead. Maybe that today is your response. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you have desired to dwell with us, that it has been evident since the creation of the world that you desire to dwell with your people and that you have gone to extraordinary lengths to show that that you have gone to extraordinary lengths to make that possible, even to the point of dying on a cross for us. And that now you extend this incredible invitation to come and to be with you. You extend this incredible gift of dwelling with us every moment of every day, never leaving us to our to our own mistakes and our own uh, unwise choices, but that you desire to guide and direct us in everything that we experience. Father, I pray, Lord, that that would well up in us, Lord, that this week that we would meditate upon those things, Lord, that they would cause a great joy and a great peace as we realize that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor abandon us, that we can worship you wherever we are because you dwell with us. Father, I also pray that you would give us a great desire for the church to worship where you bring brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God together to dwell with us in these moments to experience you. Father, we pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.